Tonight we are once again doing uh, an episode in our continuing quest for proper use of the English language, Uh, though usually what we do is focus on misuse. Thus, the title for this series, which has gone on for some years, is The Use and Abuse of the English Language. Our regular panel joins us tonight, Ron Grossman, who is one of the leading people in all American journalism and, of course, one of the senior figures as a features writer at the Chicago Tribune. Susan Harris, who is the editorial director of Words Without Borders, an online magazine of literature and translation. She used to be, in fact, the person who was the main editor at uh, Northwestern University Press. And Ellen Hunt has done many, many things in the broad realm of language and uh, proper writing. She's edited all over the place. These days, she is the owner of her own firm, Hunt Communications. And we'll go directly to the more the abuses that you've encountered rather than the uh, admirable uses. But we will at some points also ask you to give us some examples of good writing or, for that matter, even good uh, spoken performance, if you can remember it. On to the team of Grossman, Harris, and Hunt in our continuing and inevitably flawed and uh, uh, an impossible quest to improve the quality of uh, the use of English in the modern world. But first, to the WGN newsroom uh, from, or rather for, an update from Paula Cooper. It's Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg from the Allstate Studios in Chicago on 720 WGN. So here we are again at this very table, four guardians of the purity of the English language. A totally impossible quest. It's even a stance that one can't take fully seriously. But if you uh, view yourself as somebody who defends the quality of decent English or even of well-turned English phraseology, then that gives you a basis for having a lot of fun with all the stupid things other people do with the language. And that's what these sessions often turn out to be. That is, we talk about things we've encountered in uh, the writing or in the speaking of others, which either uh, startle us, uh, that's the lowest level of reaction, or that make us laugh, which has more condescension to it than merely announcing that you're surprised or startled. And sometimes one has to confess that one uh, feels like weeping over what somebody has done with the beloved English language. (laughs) So, with all of that in mind, as possible stages of uh, apprehension and stages of distress over what other people do with the language, forgetting that we do the same very often, and it can be just as guilty, I turn first... Well, our guests are Ellen Hunt, Susan Harris, and Ron Grossman. And I turn first to Ellen Hunt. Give me something that made you almost weep. Oh, almost weep. Now, that's a tricky... I was going to try to tell you about something that made me realize that, we have, that we've been doing this for a long time. I will I allow you to do that. Okay, and this is something that I found in the New York Times from 1902. 1902. And it is written by a gentleman named F.A. Henry who said he is that the paper wants to keep our noble language pure and undefiled. And he is he says such an outrage as liable in the sense of likely is entrenched in long usage, but it may not be too late for an effective protest against practically for very nearly. The other day I read in your news columns of a woman's head having been practically severed from her body. If severed at all, it must have been practically, because we know that the forts and ships theoretically destroyed in the recent maneuvers, I don't know what those were, were actually uninjured. 
What the writer said was that the woman's head was actually, as a matter of fact, severed from her body, and that was exactly what he did not mean. Practically has several bad companions, but I cannot deal with others at this time. Now, I just thought that was wonderful. This is 108 years ago, mm -hmm. and this is something we wouldn't bat an eye with for practically for very nearly. So right? the big point there, of course, is that that which offends us, that which we use regularly now offended some other people 80 or 100 years ago. Right. And that which offends us now will be absolutely Routine. Yeah, so it shows Probably you. <laughs> right. It shows you what, how important yeah. this may be or not to others, but I think you still have to fight as this guy did, right? But there are some things that are so truly barbarous that you can't imagine they'll ever become absolutely routine. What, 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 what barbarous usages have you encountered recently which you absolutely refuse to allow into the language? You know, one thing that I'm finding that one hears constantly, and it's, it's not a new expression by any means, but People are constantly reaching out to someone out. or something, and generally, we, you know, I, I think reaching out originally or certainly had 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 the connotation of perhaps extending something, like extending perhaps humility or sympathy or assistance. Now it's simply I reached out as opposed to you know can't you say you just called him? Well, actually, I've had that very interaction with a work colleague. Uh, not a present colleague, but one who has worked for me in the past, who as uh, as a producer, who constantly did say, I, "If I would ask, did you call? Did you get in touch with so and so about that book and whether the author will come to Chicago?" And he would say, "Well, I reached out to the publicity person, and uh, and again and again I reached out, and I would say, did you call or did you send an email or did you send snail mail? How did you quote reach out?'" and I think ultimately I cured him of that particular usage. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm thinking about the old 60s song, Reach Out and Touch, and I don't think that was quite what the, that's quite what these people have in mind. But. but I can envision a scene in which you're sitting at a table and you say to somebody down at the other end of the table, would you please reach out to the salt? <laughs> <laughs> reach me that salt? Yeah. Uh, I was in Whole Foods recently, and this really did... Bring, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. That's yes. the temple of uh, youthful greed in Chicago. <laughs> it, uh, and a, a new, socially responsible or politically oh, correct dining. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But oh. first, let's give it its due. You know, it's good it, food. It's a wonderful accumulation of gourmet foods. Believe me, if the spies that Joshua sent out had gone through there on the way back from Canaan, uh. they would have said, forget <laughs> the land of milk and honey. Here you got 27 different times of types of morally kosher peanut butter. Well, it would be the land, the land of soy milk and gluten-free exactly, sweeteners. Exactly. And the, the, thing and I the had, world floats on yogurt, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the thing I hadn't noticed before is that in the meat department, mm -hmm. they have ratings on a one-to-five scale of how humanely the animals were raised. Number one, I had no quarrel with. It said, without cages or physical restrictions. Of course. A, a synonym for that these days is free range. Free range, yes, exactly. Free range chickens. The uh, the top rating was for an environment. They were raised in an environment which was animal centric, which <laughs> I mean, my, my, my head meant the only way it, they could have been raised animal centric is if there was nothing in that bin, because no matter whatever else happened to the animal, at the end it wasn't. That nice. Well, isn't a yeah? Isn't a barn animal centric? That seems like a well, interesting expression, isn't it? it? It sounds like they have bedtime stories. Yeah, and but that's yeah. And, and the only thing, the image <laughs> that I kept going, getting was that uh, as they're driving them off, 
that the foreman says to the ranch hands, now remember, boys, don't tell them bossy besties why we're taking them to Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> and while we are there, while we are there at Whole Foods and other places, why do they charge extra for organic tomatoes? For which? Organic tomatoes. Organic. Well, I always want to say I want the inorganic, inorganic tomatoes, tomatoes, you know. What does organic, in fact, well, aren't mean? Aren't all tomatoes organic? Nope. I mean, they don't. what they mean is organically grown, right? Organic nope. grown without chemical fertilizers. All tomatoes are organic. That's They're plants. Point. Yes. For the price. You know? Even for we the, are organic. Right. For we the price organic. that they want. I want to get an inorganic tomato. <laughs> it might keep longer, right? Exactly. Give me a cliched way of saying we're going to commercials. Uh, if you please. I was with an English instructor at a school for about a week, a wonderful gentleman in craftsman. But every time he came to a term, a noun, he would say, such and such, if you please. And so, if you please, we'll be back after these words. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. And we return to our uh, our round, because it is a continuing round. Uh, this is a, yet another round. I wonder how many we've done in all of the program titled The Use and Abuse of the English Language. My guests are, as they have been for some time now, uh, on this panel, Susan Harris, Ellen Hunt, and Grossman, Ron Grossman of the Tribune. i got to tell you, something that I encountered just today. When I came in earlier this evening, I had to put up uh, on our Facebook page a description of what we're doing tonight. And I did. And here's what it says. Have a good one, somebody said to me as I walked into the station about an hour ago. That is one of the many, many increasingly unbearable but far too routine verbal memes up with which I can no longer put. And what uh, to do when you say thank you, and the thanky responds with, no problem. Uh, do get ready to phone or email some of the routine speech formulae that test your tolerance. Yes, you guessed right. We are indeed doing another installment of our use and abuse of the English language series tonight at 10 p.m. And I'm really rather pleased to see that about 20 people have already, uh, though I didn't invite them to do it on the Facebook page, but 20 people have come in with uh, things that, routine phrases that make them cringe just a bit. And the second guy in line, Mike, has it exactly right. The one that he just gives the phrase without another word of comment. Have a nice day. When I hear have a nice day, and I can hear it two or three times a day, depending upon whether I'm in the larger world or hiding at home, uh, I am sometimes tempted, and indeed occasionally I've allowed myself to say, well, I will, but the brain surgery may uh, disrupt things <laughs> just a bit. Just as easy to say thank you, but I have other plans. That, that's a great that's a I've response. probably overdone it, but uh, when a waiter or, waitress or waiter comes over and says, how is your day going? I'll oh, often yes. respond, well, my uh, kids have been driving me crazy. My investments are all out of whack, et cetera, et cetera. The other one that gets me is... Again, in a in a scene with a clerk or a restaurant, when you order something and the response instead of yes, sir, or uh-huh, mm-hmm. is you got it. Because patently at that point, you don't got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that came home to me when the wife and I were uh, in a restaurant, um, a, a kind of upscale chain place uh, on a road trip recently. And uh, the waiter took our order and said, you got it. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> 
nothing happened. And finally, he came back and very apologetically said, "I couldn't turn your order. I couldn't turn your order in. The computer is down." That's oh. that's an all-purpose excuse for anything going so wrong. So he couldn't walk over to the down. kitchen and say, I, I two gave eggs him a over easy or whatever. delicatessen. Hey, cookie, burn two up together. <laughs> Went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to say I don't like have a nice day either, although have a, ni- have a good one to me is worse. It's even worse. But um, why is it any worse than how do you feel, goodbye? Though? Pardon my interrupting you, but how do you feel about the other one I mentioned? Uh, you say thank you, and the response to come Well, you know, I used to hate that, no problem. no problem. Sometimes no problemo. But you know what I th- realized? I mean, I just came back from Europe. You know, when you think yeah. about in other languages, like in French. Darien. They say Darien. And there's and then niento. Yeah. I think yeah. niento, right, Ron? Mm-hmm. Niento, like if you said thank you for giving me on niento. And that kind of has the nothing. same meaning. Yeah. It's Is that yeah. so different from not a problem? I mean, we're not used to it. but And I'm wondering, where does it Sounds better it, in Italian. How did it come into the language? Is it from foreign? I mean, do you, does anybody know? Why did we start saying no, no problem? It seems it's only about 10 years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's 30. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, by the way, one of the responses I have on uh, to the paragraph that I just read to you earlier uh, is about, uh, yes, I'm, lo- I'm trying to find it here, about the term goodbye. And uh, this woman uh, suggests there was a time when that was probably very offensive because it stands for God be with, with you, you. Mm-hmm. and somebody shortened it to goodbye. And that must have really run against yeah. the yeah. sensitivities of cultured listeners a thousand years ago. I think people keep trying to make these things that are fresher, but they then they're not because yeah. they become... What I hate more than that, though, is when the, when I go to Walgreens or wherever, CVS, and they give me a receipt, and the receipt tells me to have a nice day. Oh, I think, you know, <laughs> come on. Now, you feel hectored enough. This? <laughs> yeah, is, this, is this worth anything? I don't know. How do you compare that to the messages you get on the little fortune cookie messages in Chinese restaurants. They are always platitudinous. Yes. But that's an art form. That's an art form. Yeah. You know, know, the great great play on that. Uh, I was in a Chinese restaurant. I opened it once, and it read, uh, Sauvez-moi, je suis prisonnier dans une boulangerie chinoise. (laughs) (laughs) Save save me, I'm a prisoner in a Chinese Chinese bakery. bakery. (laughs) Exactly. But in French. Really? It really did. Was it in the U.S.? You saw no, it? it's just a joke. Oh, hundred years ago. <laughs> but uh, wouldn't you love to have that? Would really please me considerably. Yes. On a uh, out of a Chinese cookie. You know the culture is uh, sadly to the point where you can't even be stupid in public anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, I was. I, I, I'm afraid I would beg to differ. <laughs> well, let, let me give it you seems an that you're not allowed let, not let, to let be. Let me give you an experience. I was in a um, little fast food place out uh, in uh, in Michigan, and uh, at the counter, you place your order, and then they say, and what name for the pickup? And there was nobody else there. <laughs> and I went like this, and the girl half apologetically said, we have to take a name. So I said, Nikolai Lenin, but you can oh. call me Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> and not only did she not get it, but she respected my age. So when it came over, she I said, know, Nikolai, just... here it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> she didn't go for the diminutive. <laughs> She'd never heard of, of uh, Lenin, didn't know who he was, I'm sure. His name to Three Oaks, yet has yet to come. Yeah. Uh, um, more material. You were saying earlier, I think, during the break, Susan, that uh, you don't have anything that made you cry, but you have a number that made you laugh. Oh, man, many, many things that make me laugh. Um, 
this is, of course, a political year. And one interesting uh, revelation I learned about um, in financial um, financial declarations was that uh, this year, Mr. Adelson has given at least $10 million, uh-huh. along with his wife, to support Newt Gingrich's <laughs> presidential campaign, <laughs> which is perhaps well, why is he has – well, then? I think that might be why he has withdrawn <laughs> from the race. At, at, at the uh, risk of offending our uh, listeners way up north, don't the Eskimos do that? Yeah, they put them – They really they, do, They yeah, give yeah. their white right – Supposedly. Yeah. For good hospitality, Supposedly. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Adelson is that big operator yes. in Las Vegas, I believe. Right. Owns and runs casinos. Yeah. And uh, $10 million was a – Considerable investment mm-hmm. in Newt Gingrich. Well, not to mention the wife, but. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm also um, amused with um, in news, newspaper reports when um, misplaced clauses will somewhat uh, will uh, alter the meaning of sentences. And I, I enjoyed this crime report, which was a critical incident investigation was underway last night. After a man was killed by a police officer for the second time in a week, (laughs) (laughs) it won't leave him alone. (laughs) Well, I have a parallel. Um, There was the story of the fellow who was up uh, holding off the police, I think, on Southern Methodist University's campus up at a derrick and then plunged. And on Google News, the headline was, Man Dies After Falling to His Death. Maybe the same cop was investigating <laughs> yes. that one. Uh, and, uh, a, little, a little redundancy sometimes uh, is a good uh, device in writing. Well, and, uh, you know, Clark, The Misfits was Clark Gable's last film, which was made after his death. <laughs> Read that. <laughs> that would be Misfits, I bet. Yeah, yeah, but again, the same thing made after his last film yeah. made after his death. Or at least was, after know, quite his a, death, of course. Or, yeah, exactly. It is absolutely required in... Uh, sessions of this sort on the use and abuse of the English language to take some bureaucraties of the sort that gets passed around in memos in organizations all the time. Here's a choice one that I've come across. Uh, This is from a real uh, memo sent out in some corporate office uh, not uh, very long ago. It says, this change will allow us to better leverage our talent base in an area where developmental roles are underway and strategically focuses us toward the upcoming business system transition, where systems literacy and accuracy will be essential to maintain and to further improve service levels to our customer base going forward. Mm. Yeah. Going forward gives it, it a real Yeah, that, that's the kickoff every love, time. They love yeah. going forward. Yeah. I have Could a you sim- possibly translate that? Not, well, not without really looking at it. <laughs> I have one that is, that is um, historic, but I don't think I've ever used it. Yeah. read it. Um, this is from World War II. And it says, such preparations shall be made as will completely obscure all federal and non-federal buildings occupied by the federal government during an air raid for any period of time from visibility by reason of internal or external illumination. Such obscuration may be obtained either by blackout construction or by termination of the illumination. And Franklin Roosevelt... I know uh, what Franklin Roosevelt said. He said... Just tell them to pull down the shades. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> turn off the lights. Or turn off the lights. Turn Either the pull lights. down the shades or turn <laughs> off the lights. I'm sorry to break your flow, no, but, no, no. but that, that's rather well known, I think, yeah. that particular one. Uh, we are close to the point at which we pause for an update on the news. But before we do that, I will say even now uh, that we're going to go to the phones early tonight. Anything you've got to say 
about the language, anything you've got to ask, any particular examples you want to give of things that offend you, amuse you, make you weep, or for that matter, anything you admire in writing especially, that you want to read if it's on the brief side. We'll be open for all of that. We're going to go to the phones, as we usually do when we do these use and abuse uh, uh, sessions. We're going to go to the phones right after the 10 o'clock news. But, uh, I beg your pardon, right after the 11 o'clock news. But right now it's time for the 10.30 news. And if you don't mind waiting in line, you can even call now if you choose. But you'll wait for about half an hour. 312 591 7200 is, of course, the number. And now to the WGN Newsroom and Paula Cooper. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. Uh, you all know about the Bulwer Lytton contest, uh, uh, which is essentially uh, giving prizes for the worst possible first paragraphs of a fictional work. Why is it called, is it named for Bulwer Lytton? Because he was a British novelist. Yes. And what's that famous? It was a dark and stormy stormy night. Exactly, for one of his novels. Yes. Uh, And so uh, they've just announced the awards for things published or things submitted in the year 2011. I didn't know they were still doing the Yeah, because they had stopped at it at one point, hadn't they? Apparently it's been going on for some time. Um, And uh, here's a – they give them in the various separate categories. And here's um, the one for science fiction, the winner – in the science fiction uh, bad writing contest. This is to be then the opening paragraph of a probably still unwritten novel. Morgan Bamboo Barnes, star pilot of the Galaxia, flagship of the Solar Brigade, accepted an d'oeuvre from the triangular-shaped platter offered to him from the Princess Quilia Lavender-skinned. She was as... I'm, I got the stresses wrong. Offered to him from the Princess Quilia. Lavender-skinned she was and busty, with two of her four eyes, what Barnes called bedroom eyes, and many marveled at how, on her planet, Chlamydia 5, these snacks were called hidey hoes. But on Earth, they were simply called Ritz, Ritz crackers with Velveeta. I'm sorry, Ritz crackers with Velveeta. I love the fact that she's from the planet of a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> yes, chlamydia. chlamydia. That obviously, obviously causes yeah. them to sprout four, four, four eyes. I, I saw a uh, very uh, cheaply, you know, B-movie, science fiction movie years ago, and the spaceship was running into mechanical problems, and the captain yells, we need a quantum mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> Want to hear one more? That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, this one is uh, in the category. I'm trying to find the right thing. Um, now, a moment here. The papers are flying in all directions at once. Um, yes, uh, this is in the category of the western. This is the first paragraph, winning the Bulwer Lipton Prize for best opening of a western novel. The laser blue eyes of the lone horseman tracked the slowly lengthening lariat of a Laredo dawn as it snaked its way through Dead Man's Pass into the valley below and snared the still-sleeping town's tiny church steeple in a noose of light with the oh-so-familiar glow of a Dodge City virgin's last maiden blush. Oh, lock that Whoa. metaphor. Whoa, clippity-clop, yeah, clippity-clop. and snaking and blushing. And How are we doing on good writing? Has anyone brought me good writing? Yeah, I did. Let's hear it. What is it? 
Well, two. One, one for, I, I suppose this was speech rather than writing. George Will really caught uh, Donald uh-huh. Trump this week. Oh, he's a terrific writer. Uh, uh, you know, um, Romney uh, got close to Trump or Trump the other way around. And Will was wondering why that would be. And he, he said, you know, I, I tried a cost-benefit analysis. He said, the cost of appearing with this blovating ignoramus is obvious. It seems to me Donald Trump is redundant evidence that if your net worth is high enough, your IQ could be very low and you can still intrude into American politics to get that much invective right on the target in yeah. just two sentences I thought was wonderful. Uh, have you ever met Will? No, I have not. Yeah. No. In the old days, he was here on, on occasion on this program, and uh, I knew him just a little bit in that context. And had some correspondence with him once on something else. I think he's grown uh, increasingly curmudgeonly and uh, rather disgusted with almost everybody. Yeah, I think so. I think, especially in the TV appearances. But uh, but again, it's a little bit typecasting on those kinds of sh- uh, kinds of shows. Oh, the Sunday morning thing. Yeah, to be sure. but, but I just a, love the. Gr- I don't like his yeah. politics. I mean, his, I should say I, my politics are different from his politics. But I think he's a really good writer when he puts his mind to it like that. Yeah. You know, he can really he can throw those words, put those words together, slap those words you together. You know he's a PhD in political science. Oh no, I didn't know yeah. he had a PhD. Yeah. And uh, he, and his father was a professor at Urbana for all oh, of his long oh, career. Oh, oh, that's how he became a Cub fan then, huh? Uh, apparently so, apparently yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More material, who's got what? Um I have uh, one excellent uh, what is apparently a misused a misused term which is probably more uh, turns out to be uh, pro- possibly more appropriate than the original. Um, this is from an Ethiopian real estate ad. A spacious penthouse for rent, located in the upscale Bizrate Gabriel neighborhood, balcony on every side, and a 360-degree paranoiac view of Addis. What? <laughs> <laughs> Paranoic stands in for panoramic, panoramic I see. 360 yeah. degree. But I like I like the idea of 360 degree paranoia. They're watching from all angles. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I and, have a thing from the New Yorker, or that was covered in the New York Times, that the, apparently the New Yorker had a Twitter contest asking people to nominate a word that most urgently needs to be eliminated from the English language. And the one that won, now this was just in a given week, mm. and it was a Twitter contest, was the word slacks, which I just find hard to understand. And and they say that the word slacks apparently was last used in that article about Callista Gingrich when it said her mother was the last woman to wear slacks in public. I think they meant the last woman to take up slacks, you know, to not wear mm-hmm. a dress. But he said that slacks has a creepy, crawly feeling. Now, I just find this rather astounding. But mm-hmm. anyway, it was eliminated at least for a week from the New Yorker's website on the basis of this Twitter contest. So I don't know what any of you think about that. Well, I agree with eliminating slacks from one's wardrobe because they do suggest, you know, women of, uh, you know, upwards of 75 in pastel uh, bulletproof pantsuits. But you at the same say time, Hillary I, Clinton wears slacks. No, of course Clinton, not. She wears what Pant, she, pants. pantsuits. You know, there are differences uh, when you guard the language, the English language in America from guarding the English language in England, apparently. How do you re- react to this? Here's something that was worked up by a bunch of Oxford professors. Uh, and they've got a hierarchy of verbal fatigue, things that we've heard enough of we don't want to hear anymore. Some of these I instantly resonate to, and I th- they're absolutely right. Others of them kind of puzzle me. Uh, leading their list of 10 most overused and therefore most uh, 
uh, most eligible for elimination from common usage and from the language. The first one is at the end of the day. And that, indeed, that has an English origin, I think. And for a while, whenever one wants to say ultimately or in conclusion or whatever is coming next, it was always at the end of the day. Yeah, when all's said and done, right? It's kind of a synonym for when all's said and done, right? I think maybe at the end of the day is beginning to fade. I hope so. I I hope so. Uh, fairly unique is their second. Well, that's just merely redundant in, in, or redundant not impossible. Or, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's you can't internally be fairly unique, right? Yeah, obviously, because yeah. you can't be fairly unique. Unique means uh, unique. unique is always utterly unique. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, then they list I personally. Now I don't really encounter that. I'm not quite sure where that would be used. I suppose I. Oh, I hear. Think, I think that business people say that kind of stuff all the time. Give me an example. I personally feel that we are taking the right step. Like, who else would you be but you personally? I, yeah. I mean, I, what is the what is the opposite? I mean, what could you be if it were, you weren't personal? I mean, I don't, I've never under. It's a, it's kind of unnecessary, yeah. and it's sort of. Uh, look at me. Yeah, look at me. Look at mm-hmm. me. You know. The next one they list is truly offensive, and I think I know just where it began, at least where I first encountered it. I wonder if you would agree with me on that. It is the phrase, at this moment in time, or it might be at that moment in time, uh, specifying there's a time about which I'm talking. And you know, John Dean in the Watergate hearings, it. at this point in time, he said, they, ad nauseum, right? That's it, just what I had in mind. It wasn't only John Dean, it was John Ehrlichman as well. Oh, did they all say that testimony. at this point in time or at that point? In way this, back in those Watergate hearings, you heard it all the time. Was it a way of not lying? Was that why they said, at this point in time... I would say blah, 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 blah. Maybe right. it has to do with whether you're... Uh, what you knew lying when. Who, yes. Remember, that was, what did he know and when did he know it? It was right. all, you know, that's, at this That's point. Watergate as well. Yeah. And then the next one they list is ultimately uh, objectionable, and it's constantly in use. It really has a double meaning, which is instantly uh, and uh, surprisingly obvious, but lots of people still go on using it, not understanding that they're really saying you're... you're I, dis- I dislike you and I dis- disrespect you. And, of course, it begins with, with all due respect. Oh, of course. You, yeah. Congressman, are an absolute fool. Yeah. With and all due respect, we know that you murdered the woman, but yeah. let's talk about it. Anytime someone says, with all due respect, he might as well continue with, although I have none whatsoever for you. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Do you ever, have you ever been guilty of using it? Probably, if so, you wouldn't confess it. Would you? Ironically. Now, that's another one that yes. is offensive. That, the meaning of ironic and ironically has changed, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah, I, I think people people use it now simply to mean anything that's odd or perhaps a bit unexpected, as opposed to something that is it directly incongruous. Incongru- they're using it even to suggest uh, that it's funny. It just, it's mm-hmm. funny, it yeah. yeah. Isn't mm-hmm. it ironic yeah. that, you know, yeah. I couldn't find my purse this morning or some stupid thing like that, you know? Yeah, they, I don't think they have a clue as yeah. to what it means, you know? Yet another one. Well, they also list twenty four seven, and of course one oh, hears oh. that all the time. Well, you remember the joke though when when uh, Joe Lieberman announced that he would be observing the Sabbath, and the joke was that he would be campaigning twenty four six. That is funny. <laughs> that is great. And the last one, I've skipped one or two. The last one, uh, it's not rocket science. Yes. Yeah. Or it's, yeah, not, it's brain not brain surgery. Brain surgery. Yeah. And you were suggesting before when we were off the air that. Yeah. Down, what do they say in NASA? Yeah. They must there say it's not brain surgery yeah. because they're all doing yeah, ex- exactly. It, it, no. you know, it's not only as a cliche, but it's it's used to be it's a very insulting used very insultingly to people something. You know, what is rocket science except rocket science? As if to say Well the implication is else. that wherever rocket science is, what you're being assigned to do is way down. Yeah, right. 
It's kind of along the same line as another expression I really don't care for, which is don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Because uh-huh. then basically both of those are implying you are stupid and petty and shut up and stop complaining. Well, that's but, what it means, yeah. shut up and stop complaining. Exactly. That comes from a routine that may have been used, for all I know, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous or one of those self-improvement groups. It runs, don't sm- sweat the small stuff. Rem- two basic things. Remember, one, don't sw- sweat the small stuff. And two, it's all, it's all small. small Somebody stuff. wrote a book. A book with that title, I think it was I'm a self-help sure. book. It might yeah. have been that guy who it's wrote everything I wanted to know. Yeah. I learned in kindergarten or something. Yeah. You know, I just spent a week at a woodworking school with a uh, one of the greatest woodturners in the world. Now, that most but, people, you know, woodworking is not rocket science. Yes, exactly. But it is all sweating the small stuff. Yeah, that's what separates him. And why he gives the master class, and the rest of us show up there and say, oh, my goodness, look at the attention to detail. You know, there are those listeners who are now expecting me to ask you, so I will ask you, yes. why were you at a woodworking school? Because I'm one of the small fraction of human beings who is utterly fascinated with taking a log, putting it on a machine, holding a chisel to it, and hopefully making a bowl out of it. And you've got a, a new vacation home down in Indiana, as I remember. So that I could have a large own shop. Yeah. I think, Ellen, you, you must yes, have seen it. Yes, I have them. seen it, yes. Yeah. And I believe that Ron told me that he learned how to use these tools at Lane Tech yes, right I here did. in Chicago. Yes, I did. For those who want further, uh, I just wrote a column. I think it will be in the paper next week on, on my, my week with uh, this man. Late for commercials. Here's a quick batch of them. And then directly back to uh, Ron Grossman, um, Carpenter, Carpentry Craftsman to Susan Harris, Editorial Director of Words Without Borders, to Ellen Hunt, uh, President, Owner, and Genius at Hunt Communications. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. And directly back to the team of Harris, Grossman, and Hunt. Who comes next? Let's turn to Harris. Well, I have um, some amusing signage. Um, did see an advertisement. I believe it was for... Um, a uh, musical, learning to play an instrument, uh, a musical instrument that offered the first five lesions free, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> you know. um, and then one, hard to believe, but both these signs were in one laundromat. Um, for the drop-off, for the drop-off uh, service, ladies, leave your clothes here and spend the afternoon having a good time. <laughs> and then over the self-service Please rem- over the dryers. Please remove all clothes before lights are off. <laughs> when it comes to signage, there's an item which I know that I've used on this program, possibly even the very first time we did a variant of the use and abuse of the English language. It was one that literally uh, set me laughing so that I, for a while, had to stop and just w- <laughs> wonder at the sheer idiocy of it all. Because at the University of Chicago, in the the university hospital and adjoining the med school. As you approached the door, there was a sign saying, this door is alarmed after 6 (laughs) o'clock. It's It's calm the rest of the time. A cowardly door that gets frightened (laughs) by the the oncoming dust. All the psychiatrists, couldn't they give it a pill about 545? (laughs) I I want to um, point out or throw out for suggestion that the machines may be contributing to this. It may not be all human failure. I I just uh, wrote a piece. In fact, it was a piece about uh, the wood-turning genius. And I compared him to Yasha Heifetz. And then when it was done, I ran the spell check. And the spell check changed Yasha Heifetz to Kasha Diets. (laughs) 
And thank goodness I decided to check the spell check. Have you ever uh, played with tra- with translation programs on the internet? Oh, to see what they oh, do. Oh, they're there? hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Inf- infamous. This uh, I did it once, uh, translating our uh, just our front pages, our website into French. Just gave the order French, and it came out. Uh, Milt turns out to be. Uh, the seminal fluid of fish. Did you know that? <laughs> most the way most fish breed is that the the female fish lays the eggs, and right. then the female the male fish comes along and drops milt on them, uh, and that uh, produces little fishes. Have you been poaching someone's girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> and in French, it came out to be uh, the, uh, the, that the the host of this program was uh, fish sperm. <laughs> <laughs> the French equivalent of fish sperm, uh, Rosenberg. <laughs> well, sometimes making your point is like swimming upstream, wouldn't you say? There you are. Yeah. There you are. It was like the, the um, I got a, I got a, a letter. Um, I had to I had to write to uh, the estate of a Turkish poet uh, to ask for rights about something, and I got a message back that was clearly that had clearly gone through Google Translate, and it opened with, "I am the varicose veins of this poet." <laughs> And I knew exactly what had happened, and sure enough, the Turkish word for varicose veins is also the Turkish word for air. And so this poor man thought that he was saying he was the air, H-E-I-R. I am the varicose veins, clearly a blood relative. You know, there was a case like that, or analogous to that, in Italy, uh, when uh, Victor Emmanuel was leaving after World War II, the king, mm-hmm. they kicked him out because he had, of his alliance with Mussolini. He was on the, the steps of the airplane, and he turned down to the rest of his court and uh, looked, I guess, at the head mogul and said, give them the counts. Well, the word conti in Italian means either a man just below a king, what we would call a count, or an account book. And what he was really saying is, have them pay my tailor bill and all that. But the fellow there heard it as the other way. And so those people became a second aristocracy, <laughs> known as the aristocracy of Fumicino. <laughs> <to this day. laughs> really? And their families use the titles to this day? Oh, yes, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I read that. Yeah, he wanted them to pay his bills, right? Wasn't that what it was? He yes, exactly. The bills. Yeah. 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 And, you know, supposedly Khrushchev's Huge, angry, uh, ang- angry uh, tirade ending up with "We will bury you" mm-hmm. is a mistranslation because he was using an idiom, um, a Russian idiom that means something much less aggressive. Simply, "We will outlast you. We will continue to live when you have been bur- when you are buried and dead." Oh, so, um. you know, essentially saying, "We'll we'll outlive you." Oh, oh, not we will not bury near, you. Not nearly so aggressive as we will bury you. Remember earlier on, I read you the little piece that I wrote at the top of our uh, Facebook page and my objection to have a good one. And uh, somebody has just uh, sent in this. He says, response to have a good one. I do have a good one, but how about yours? <laughs> And now they say have a great one because have a good one isn't enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ha- have a good one is one one of the um, five require being able to say have a good one with conviction is one of the five requirements for becoming a UPS driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have some other responses. Uh, one that uh, amused me when I saw it a bit earlier. Um, uh, uh, this is a response to what I said in that opening paragraph. And this guy says, love it. 
Uh, I told my wife, and she was like, wow, uh, let's be there. Uh, then I go, dude, we uh, shouldn't, we should have went there last time. Uh, wow in itself has been utterly ubiquitous in our language yeah. now. Wow. For some time, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, wow isn't new, though, is it? Or is it becoming well, it's been around more prevalent, but it's... There's a new one, a sign-off for uh, those very brief messages, you know, the 140-character ones that my oh, kids use. On Twitter, yes. The tweets? Yeah. I'm sorry. The tweets? The tweet, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's sort of like that. It's very cryptic and really means goodbye. Ah. I often get a little Twitter-like messages, though I don't participate in Twitter, with LOL. And that's supposed to mean laugh, laugh, out, out, loud. laugh out loud. But I never quite understand why it's there. But Susan oh. thought that knew somebody who thought it meant yes. An elder, uh, some unfortunate older gentleman thought that LOL stood for lots of love and was signing emails, you know, sympathy messages and and very serious, oh uh, and and had to write a, a year's worth of apologies when someone you know finally mercifully took him aside and told him that that abbreviation or whatever you call it. That's one of many many that are in common use. In texting, I guess. Like yes. OMG, you know. Oh, my God. Or I got one from my son-in-law texted me. Oh, I said, are you coming to pick up the kids? And he said, OMW. And I think, what does that mean? If OMG is, oh, my God, what's OMW? Oh, my word. And that means on my, on my way. way. On my way. So, <laughs> What are some of the others? Well, I don't text, so I'm not, I'm not, flu- I'm not fluent well, in I that. I text when I have to, but I spell everything out, which my children uh-huh. laugh at me for because I don't know and those you're wiggling abbreviations. Your thumbs right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're uh, uh, shortly going to the newsroom, and directly after, as I did promise earlier, we are going to the phones. So now a full invitation. There are some people waiting online. They've waited for much of the hour. However, there are still some lines available. And if you do try to reach us and can't get through because of a busy signal, don't be discouraged. You just try again right after we say goodnight to a prior caller. But the number, 312-591-7200, of course, 312 591 7200 for a question you want to raise or for an instance of uh, ill usage or for an instance of particularly fine usage which you admire. That might well be a few phrases, rather a few sentences from something you've read or something you've heard and remember uh, with actual textual precision. 312-591-7200. And for that matter, for our listeners elsewhere over the Internet at some greater distance, as I often say, whether in Yellowknife, Saskatchewan, or down in Merida, Yucatan, or over on the uh, Pacific Rim, where we are heard by many, uh, it being, uh, in terms of chronology, uh, one or two in the afternoon tomorrow in, say, um, uh, in Sydney, Australia, and I guess it's only about 11 a.m. in Perth, Australia. At any rate, wherever you are, if you want to reach us from a distance, the email address, extension 720 at WGNRadio.com. Extension 720, one word, at WGNRadio.com. And again, for phones, 312-591-7200. And be sure that if you hit the busy signal, you should try again right after we say goodnight to somebody else. On to your contributions and our panel's response to your contributions after the update on the news from Polar Coop. It's Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg from the Allstate Studios in Chicago on 720 WGN. And now we turn to our listeners who become active participants in this continuing seminar on the use and abuse of the English language. Our guests, uh, seminar members around the table, are 
Ron Grossman of the Chicago Tribune, Susan Harris, uh, editorial director of Words Without Borders. That's a, uh, a uh, site on the Internet of fascinating and great value. And Ellen Hunt, who's a pro in the editing business and has run many different organizations which produced good pros and now does that for all sorts of clients through our own firm, Hunt Communications. 312-591-7200 is our number. And actually, I see one line available at this moment. Not everybody makes the cut. If you've got a contribution and you want to get in there, call instantly. And if you hit the busy signal, call right after we finish with some prior caller at 312-591-7200. And first caller is Tom, who's, I'm told, in Kentucky. Is that right, sir? Yes, sir. Good evening, Mr. Rosenberg, to you and your guests. It's a pleasure listening to you. I find your shows are very educational as well as informative. First off, I would like to say words that bother me are pre-recorded. This program was pre-recorded. Rather than recorded. Yes. Right, recorded. That's correct. Uh, another thing I find offensive is, uh, well, not offensive, but hurts your ears, irregardless. <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, that's, that's, been, that's everybody's ears. That's been offensive yeah. so long, and it's been around oh, for so long. And then I, another I, hold one on, is, though. I think you might predict that ultimately, irregardless, will somehow become <laughs> acceptable. Another one is, hold I'm, on one minute, sir. I want to put this to my panel. Okay. Isn't it quite possible that irregardless ultimately will be given oh, confirmation ab- by the Oxford? I think it will because it'll just be the, because the, most of the dictionaries just record what's in common They usage. yield to usage. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That, that thing I read earlier, right, where they were so upset yeah. about practically, you know, and now we wouldn't bat an eye about that. So irregardless of your concern, sir, yes. the, word, the word is going <laughs> to get legitimated other, sooner or later. The other one is untimely death. <laughs> yes. Okay, untimely death. Yeah, all deaths are untimely, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, come on. And then people will say words like, put extra letters in words, like escape. Instead yes. of escape, yeah. supposedly, <laughs> instead of supposedly. And one question I have for the panel, if I may. A lot of times when reporters are reporting on a trial or whatever, they'll say, such and such pleaded guilty, or they pleaded innocent. And that while that may be grammatically correct, it mm-hmm. just doesn't sound right. And why can't they, shouldn't they say such and such pled guilty to blah, blah, blah. It seems that years ago, to me, and I may be mistaken, that that's how it used to be, was such and such pled guilty. But yeah. here within the last 30 years or so, it's pleaded guilty. Yeah, well, the, the past form of uh, to I plead is I think either is, one is correct, isn't is it? Pleaded, pleaded or pled, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, thank I mean, you, I, sir. Those are all legitimate and interesting concerns. We have to consult with a lawyer uh, who's also an expert in linguistics on that last matter of pleaded versus pled. And since the caller was from Kentucky, let's tell him you all come again. Uh, by you all, all y'all, and y'all is plural, Ron. Yeah. Y'all. Y'all, well, y'all come and see us, yeah? Here, yeah. some of us don't especially care for pled. This is Theodore Bernstein. Oh, wonderful. If some of us don't especially care for pled as the past tense of plead, as in he pled guilty, and one or two dictionaries go along with us, terming pled colloquial or dialectical. But other dictionaries find it acceptable. Thus, there is no flat rule. 
Wilson Follett's Modern American Usage says that in American Usage, pleaded is educated, pled is not. This is from the style editor, as he was once, of the New York Times. Isn't that right? Yes. In Scottish law, pled is approved, but elsewhere in Britain it is frowned upon. This judge's, meaning himself, opinion is that pled may be all right for ordinary folk, but that pleaded has a more literate sound, Mm -hmm. for what it's worth. And speaking of legal terms and pleading, (laughs) why did suspect become person of interest? Because person yes. of int- because suspects suggest guilt. It's like it. saying the alleged murderer, as opposed to the 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 murderer. It's more if neutral. someone's yes, it's yeah, more I think neutral. It's some kind of they don't want to be uh, avoid, prejudicing people. Avoiding pre- avoiding prejudgment. To yeah. me, yeah, a yeah. person of interest is Rita Hayworth. Yes, <laughs> I want the cops to go out after suspects. <laughs> Part number certain kind of interest. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's so they don't throw the case out right because they. <laughs> right. Yeah. Back to the phones. Next up is Anne. Good evening. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, I have to ask where have all the adverbs gone? <laughs> Most especially in radio hosts. Uh, Present company excluded. M- Milt has adverbs hanging all over him. If you could see him, you'd see him. <laughs> Give us an example of what you mean. Well, uh, for someone who is paid to speak. It's it's consistent that uh, they are not using adverbs. Everything is good and and dropping the ly ending. It's it's absolutely consistent on the radio now, and I find that very distressing. If, if we don't hear the I language, I'll still I still need some examples. Give me some radio prose that uh, conveys that particular misuse. Well, um, he did good. It was, you know, he right. did good. Well, that's a mistake. It should <laughs> be he just... did well. but uh... Exactly. And instead of adding up, it was uh, he, it occurred in a, a pleasantly instead of pleasant, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we don't hear English spoken correctly, we're going to start to uh, lose an ear for correctly spoken English. That worries me, especially when it's on mm-hmm. the air. When millions of people are listening, and again, people who are paid to speak publicly are speaking incorrectly. It's a curious side issue on this is the use of adverbs as first names for women, which happened in Quaker society at an earlier time. The virtues. Uh, yes, so you could be sympathetically Webster. Oh, like like cheer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Capability Jones. Capability Jones. Oh, Capability Brown. Excuse me. That's a noun, though, right? But sympathetically would be an adverb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's quite common in in naming in Quaker circles in the 18th century. Huh. Uh, And also, maybe also in New England, uh, among the Puritans, uh, for a while. I I don't know, but it it's there, and you find it in the old literature. Do your guests notice the same thing, that we're dropping our, our adverbs? Our well, we're going to get the definitive word on all of that from Ron Grossman, who writes a great prose for the Chicago Tribune. You know, as you were saying that, um, I said to myself, you know, if that is occurring, that is a pity, because the adverbs are the words that give the fine-tuning to a mm-hmm. sentence. Hmm? Yeah. It, it probably I, is I Ma'am, you just said it when you said person who is paid to speak publicly. You, you had that L-Y word in there, which kind of qualified that, yeah. etc. And I am publicly Rosenberg, who thanks you very much for the call, ma'am. Thank you. 
And we will uh, go quickly and directly to the next caller, who turns out to be Jeff. Good evening. You're on the air. Yeah, I, I would say that one of the things that uh, I've noticed or we notice is that certain uh, uses of verbs and adverbs and longer words uh, is often a sign uh, a person will, instead of saying something in three or four words, they'll say it in 12 to 15 multisyllable words, which is an attempt to sound more intelligent. Oh, and sure. that's a turnoff. That's a very much of a turnoff. And that's something that you do a lot, Milt. Well, I'm sorry that I must be turning you off. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. All right. Then I'll turn you off right now. <laughs> uh, well, he, I may very well be guilty of that. But uh, Ron will appreciate this because he's a former academic, just as I am. Uh, academic training tends to push you in the direction of trying to work at the hemi-demi-semi-quavers of, uh, of more precise meaning or, more, or to get shades of meaning that aren't easily conveyed. And uh, that very often turns you a touch polysyllabic. Uh, uh, or lengthens uh, the sentences considerably. Yes, you could say that it's for precision, but you could also attribute it to the sociology of academe. Oh, yeah. Which is to carve out your own little empire. And one way to prohibit people from entering into it is to create your own language. You know, it's beautifully given in the words that Gilbert wrote to the music of Sullivan in Gilbert and Sullivan's Eolanthe, where the person that they're satirizing is Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. And this, to walk down Piccadilly. The walk down Piccadilly, Piccadilly with, with a poppy or a lily, lily in, in, your medieval, in your medieval, medieval hand. hand. Then everyone will say, oh, but then also there's another verse which is about how complex his expressions are and uh, and the explanation for that is everyone will say as he walks his mystic way if this young man expresses himself in words too deep for me why what a very singularly deep young man he this must deep young man must be, must be. so that's yeah. what yeah. our listener who sneaked in to uh, chide me. <laughs> and I uh, think that there are people who well, think that, that, that some of the language you read of the business thing where it's all incomprehensible, yeah. that's what those people think, that if you can't use $3 words, I would not think that you are guilty of that. I think you're precise. Well, that business kind of buzz speak also has an awful lot of uh, absolutely generalized categorical terms that have no particular meaning. I and think it, Milton speaks precisely. I do too. And you know, one e- tries. E.B. White said, <laughs> "Use the smallest word that does the job." But sometimes the word that does the job isn't a small word, so you don't want to avoid polysyllables, or you know, if if that's what's required. Well, that what, that does remind one inevitably of the great uh, set of rules worked up by George Orwell: the six basic rules for effective writing. You, you all know them. I'll just run through them without commentary. One, never use a metaphor, simile, or other figure of speech um, which you are used to seeing in print. Two, never use a long word where a short one will do. Three, if it is possible to cut a word out, always cut it out. Four, never use the passive where you can use the active. Five, never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. And six, of course, is break any of these rules sooner than saying anything outright barbarous. Yes. Mm. Of course, there the whole argument is for simplicity. Hemingway would have fully agreed. Short words, old words, uh, nothing complex. I'm not sure that I fully agree. Certainly academics can't when it comes to writing or even when it comes to lecturing. Yes, indeed. Well, indeed. And, and short words and simple words can be more powerful. Certainly poets would be yeah. would not be using polysyllables if they could help it, right? Because it's, 
takes you aback, but it really does depend what you're writing about. If you were a doctor, for instance, mm-hmm. writing about a disease, although you might have to say to the person, you know, you have cancer, <laughs> right? Yeah. You wouldn't give it in a in a bunch of polysyllabic phrases. Well, actually, doctors very often soften the blow by using polysyllabic phrases, yes. which, which confuse the patient and the patient's relatives, even That's, though they've technically covered the ground. Right, right, because they're afraid of... Yeah. We pause for some overdue commercials, then right back to the phones, 312-591-7200. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. And directly back to the phones. 312-591-7200. Jesse joins us. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, good evening. Um, I was... I worked for a number of years at a coffee shop in the service industry when I was in college and grad school. And our standard question when somebody would walk up to the counter is, how's it going this morning? And as we made their drink, if they were standing near where we were working yeah. and weren't, weren't predisposed on a cell phone or in a conversation, we would we would ask them, how's it going? How's your morning? You know, to strike up a conversation. And then frequently as they were, you know, taking their drink and, and walking out the door, we would say something like, have a nice day. And we did this hundreds of times every morning or every shift and it seems to me that those are pleasantries that people understand and almost expect yet they don't actually answer those questions in any sort of detail because it's a sort of a social construct to not do that but it seems weird if you don't offer those phrases to them when they come into the store i was wondering um if if your guests had any comment about the sort of social understanding that this is the appropriate thing to do, but I'm not actually going to answer in any detail to that question, but I'm glad that you said that to me. Well, that's an interesting and, and, and very favorable interpretation. Susan Harris, does that grab you? Oh, I think definitely if you'll see some, you, you see someone, you say, hey, how are you? You don't expect someone to regale you with the entire laundry list of, of concerns and and. You know, options for the day. I, I agree with you that there's there are certain expressions that we think of as kind, kind of you know social that, that grease the social wheels. And certainly, I'd rather have uh, pleasant customer service than surly. So, I mean, your coffee shop does sounds does sound like a, a you know a, a pleasant place to do business. I, I noticed that if I said how's it going, it would always be good or okay or not bad. But if I said how is your morning today, they would actually give me a real answer. So the how's it going. Much safer. Um, yeah, yeah, but but if but if it was the only person coming in and I was actually interested in, in, in striking up a conversation, you would just change it up and you're ax- you're asking essentially the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. You know but you you go you, you, you go from the script to a sentence that sounds like an actual question. Yeah, and then you get a, an actual there. answer, right. You know, and I sometimes far too long of an answer than you expected. <laughs> right. I used to I the first time I heard, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of black people say how do you feel or how do you feeling? And when I first started working in an office where there were a lot of people saying that, I actually thought they thought, well, did they think I was sick? And then you realize <laughs> it was just a different way of saying how how right. are you? And you just you're feeling it. You just say fine is the answer. But when it's different from the script, as you say, you then you you think you have to answer. Speaking of scripts and coffee shops, the one that troubles me every time is you go into a Starbucks and I say, I want a small cappuccino, and they call it a grande. Yeah, they, they they translate into their own faux Italian that is not what I asked. I wanted a small, and they've kicked it up to a big. And then if you want a really big, then they say, give them a venti. I've been to Italy a lot of times. They don't have ventis. No. <laughs> Where is OSHA? These people should not be forced to say stuff. Like oh, that. it's just like converting meters to 
you know, the metric no, conversion it's, from it's, inches. It's just so silly. Well, I refuse to order the grandes, too, you know. But, but long before uh, they ever started doing that kind of foolery with uh, coffee, uh, think about how they label eggs or even, for that matter, olives yeah. uh, in the standard markets, let alone in the best foods place that you go yeah, to. Jumbo, the colossal. smallest eggs are called jumbo, I think. <laughs> yes. Something like that. And there's no small toothpaste. And they're colossal. And so yeah. yeah. Our thanks to the caller quickly to the next one, the next one being uh, Alex. Good evening. You're on the air. Uh, good evening, sir, and, and guests. A couple of uh, abuses in the uh, rhetoric of advertising, which we hear or read every day. One is the case of modifying an adverb with a preposition in phrase for free ride for free we'll send it for free the other is uh, the word saving which is often used as a plural when the singular is indicated such as uh, a ten dollar item for five, for nine dollars a savings plural of ten percent it's just a saving of ten percent mm-hmm. it's a plural is correct if you say in, in our store you'll find savings in every aisle one more thing, if I may, if you have time. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about the recent summit meeting in Chicago, summit conference. But often it's ref- the, the conference is referred to as the summit. The summit will be held on Sunday and Monday. Well, I mean the conference will be held. Am I correct? Do you, do you agree? Well, Chicago is a funny place to hold a summit because it's so level. <laughs> well, that's true, too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Has yeah. anybody ever figured out what they did for the two days? Well, they didn't dine downtown. That's one thing we know. Yeah. Since all the restaurants were deserted. Mm-hmm. We thank you, sir, for the call, and we go directly to the next. The next, let me see, is Bill. And Bill is on the air. Good evening. Yes, hello, Milton guests. Uh, enjoy the program generally, and uh, certainly enjoy the specific discussion tonight. I teach English as a second language and uh, get my chance to have some interesting viewpoints uh, regarding language. But uh, I uh, caught some of your talk about uh, redundancies, and uh, the, the, uh, one of my favorites or unfavorites is it, it kind of comes along with that time period you're talking about, where point in time, you know, and the, uh, Dean, John Dean and those guys, Near proximity and close proximity, uh, <laughs> you hear so uh-huh. often. And um, uh, I have others like basic fundamentals or share in common. Uh, you know, you, they're they're really good. Uh, but um, uh, also, um, I was thinking in terms of uh, a couple of uh, ditties. Uh, one, Mark Twain. And uh, I noticed, Ron, uh, you had a, a piece about Mark Twain in your Tribune column this morning. Yes, I uh, Always interesting stuff from him and how he, he, he said that the difference between uh, the precise word and the nearly precise word, uh, and I'm, this is from Recall, so I'm not sure mm-hmm. I'm right on the money, but he said it's the difference between uh, li- a lightning bug and lightning. Right, and, that's right, uh, yeah. You know, it's so near and yet so far. And um, I, uh, <laughs> I I got a kick out of uh, the guy that chided you a little bit, as you said, about uh, being a, a bit verbose, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I certainly have never caught that in, in your uh, presentations. But um, in uh, defense of people that go on a little bit and, and uh, something of a counter to that, 
Abraham Lincoln once said, supposedly, uh, of some man who went on at length, uh, he said, he can compress the most words yes. into the smallest idea of any man I ever met. Yeah. It's a wonderful quotation. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for the call. You're very welcome. I'll tell a quick story on myself. When I was first doing this program, the first year or so, uh, the guy who talked me into it was then the manager of the station, Bob Henley. Uh, and uh, one uh, day when I came in, one after, late afternoon when I came in, there was a memo from him. He said, I've asked so-and-so, the, who was the secretary, to simply transcribe a question you asked last night at uh, 9.33 or whatever it was. And it ran, so help me, for a page and a half single-space typewritten. And it was a question. <laughs> uh, so it was an oration. Yeah. And that taught me a great deal, of course, obviously. And I began to watch it. But still, of course, uh, actually, talk show hosts tend to talk a lot. I think it's the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we pause for a quick round of commercials, and no, rather for the newscast, and maybe a commercial or two, if you miss them, and, and uh, to the newsroom and Paula Cooper. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. An interesting treatise has come my way via email. I want to read it to you. In current usage, the word human is slippery because two distinct definitions of it are confounded. I believe the consequences extend, paren or reach out, uh, which is a joke <laughs> with reference to something yeah. earlier tonight, far beyond arcane theology. The American Heritage Dictionary gives a strictly descriptive definition, which amounts to being a member of the human species, having flesh and bone and a psyche intertwined with the brain. In a separate definition, to be human is to be flawed, subject to erring, prone to make mistakes. This second definition is more evaluative. Two problems result from melding these two definitions. Regardless of faith persuasion, to, to confound the two definitions leads towards making excuses for misbehavior. I'm only human, then becomes little different from the devil made me do it. If to be human in species is to be intrinsically flawed, we are then furnished with a free pass to claim perpetually, I couldn't help it, and you can't expect me to. This is moral philosophy or moral theology. That's heavy-duty stuff. But why would he say, well, uh, of course we're for flawed. Is he saying that humans aren't flawed? I mean, I don't quite get the argument. No, he's bothered with the two meanings of the word. But I think you can take many other basic words, and you find that in usage they have different shades You could shades say, I'm only a woman. Yeah. Right, it's the same it's idea, the same but thing. I mean, yeah. I don't know, it seems... But that's a particularly Christian note, the idea of a basic flaw in human nature that was passed down from the Garden of uh, yeah. Eden. Yeah, kind of yeah. Hmm. But, I mean, the, the fact that we're flawed, what religion would say, if you want to talk that way, is that you're supposed to do these things to rise to fight against your yeah. human failing, you know? So. Well, interestingly, he uh, had another paragraph, and he instructs me to delete this paragraph to save time, if you need to. <clears throat> so I did. But let me read you that paragraph now. In popular theology, it sometimes happens that a gospel passage is disturbing because it appears to catch Jesus in a blunder. Then the response often comes predictably, well, Jesus was, after all, human, too. Unless the two definitions are kept distinct, the way is open to conclude that Jesus must have been flawed because he was embodied. Hence, in this notion, the divine and human 
are inevitably at odds. This is really a variant of Arianism. I was a, going to say... Uh, a heresy of the third let, century. Let me, let me take up the pedantic view of that. Yes, yeah. people killed each other over that in exactly the first so. three, four centuries yeah. of the yeah. church about whether he really was human or was that a kind of an illusion? And if he was a human, how many <laughs> faults did he have, etc., etc.? Yeah. yeah, fascinating. Back that, to that's, the, a, that's a very interesting piece. It's, it's a good contribution. Um, and let's go back to the phones and... Uh, Nick, I believe, is next. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, good evening. Yes, sir. Uh, when you were discussing um, uh, some of the text abbreviations, like LOL and so on, I, yeah. I've been a ham radio operator for many, many, mm. many years and operate primarily CW or, or Morse code. And we never, ever use a complete sentence. It's always uh, an abbreviation. Are you there? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're here, okay. and we're listening. So if I was going to ask you, where do you live?, I would spell out the word what, W-A-T, and then uh, simply maybe the letter U, and then I would use a Q signal for Q-T-H, which would mean where do you live or where are you located. So we have a whole series of these abbreviations. There is very seldom a complete sentence ever used in, in Morse code. That's interesting. I think so uh, So many professions or fields have their own languages, but also their their own languages that also carry their own sets of abbreviations. Like And, and that is fascinating, uh, the idea of ham radio. Does ham radio in Morse code still persist? Is it as popular as it once was? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I should think it's been replaced for many people by well, it, all these other electronic things. Well, we, we, we do have uh, dig- other digital modes, um, but uh, the standards... Uh, uh, to be a ham radio operator have been lowered substantially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Morse code is no longer required by the FCC to be licensed. Uh, You simply have to pass written examinations. Hmm. But it still is the most fascinating form of communication. Oh, yes, yes. I I wanted to ask a question. It's often uh, said that uh, ham radio operators can hear the tip-tap pattern of the other person, that it, it has the quality of voice. Is that true? Well, the, the, it's referred to as a fist. Right, you're yes. Using, you're using a, a key to send uh, dits and das. And so you can find that everyone has a, a rhythm to their sending. And so you can recognize somebody simply by the rhythm in their sending, whether they're using uh, uh, a straight key or paddles or other automatic means of sending there still is a rhythm to it all. That's fascinating. Yeah, that is. We thank you, sir. Very glad to have heard from you. You're welcome. I think we should do a program sometime uh, about amateur radio and its persistence. 312-591-7200. Peg is next. Hello, you're on the air. Good evening, Dr. Rosenberg, and to your guest. Yes, ma'am. I have a German friend who says, you Americans love everything. I love my car. I love that outfit. And he says that Germans are actually very reserved in the use of the word love. Do you find the same is true in other languages or cultures? Hmm, interesting. Uh, In French, j'aime ça, uh, uh, M-A-I-M-E in that form, means to love. And yeah, but it's used for liking anything. J'adore votre, etc. Yeah. But, yeah, Americans do overdo do we, that. I love you is je t'aime. Yeah. But uh, I like this food is j'aime cette, uh, uh, cette uh, whatever. I might have yeah. told this before on the air, but we have a son-in-law who works in Hollywood. 
And love you is such ordinary currency there ah, yes. that when you want to really emphasize it, you say, love you, mean it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Could you stand that if you heard it? Uh, for about 48 hours. Uh, yeah. Our thanks to the caller. We pause. A last round of messages uh, to be uh, dispatched through all the world and uh, on into space. Did you know that all uh, signals traveling at the speed of um, light, uh, <coughs> radio signals, ultimately reach extra... Um, well, they, they reach to other planets more or less in our range. They reach to Mars, they reach to Venus, they reach uh, as far as Pluto, which has been demoted. It's no longer a planet. But ultimately, they go into outer space. Mm-hmm. And uh, hundreds of thousands of years from now, they may be received uh, in another galaxy in which they'll decipher them and wonder what in the world these creatures were all about. Yeah, and they'll hear all the commercials. You know, they will. A wonderful place in the country. <laughs> you remember that one, do you? Oh, yes. Yeah. You remember who that was? Somebody Ford. No, it wasn't Ford. It was another uh, uh, automobile thing. And it was done by Dick Orkin, who was a great oh. a great uh, writer and uh, and performer of funny commercials. Um, be all that as a may, we... We'll return after these commercials, funny or otherwise. Extension 720 with Milt Rosenberg on 720 WGN. We're in the last phase, and we go quickly right back to the phones for your questions and comments to Susan Harris, Ron Grossman, Ellen Hunt, 312-591-7200. James is next. Hello. Yes, uh, you know, there's uh, four different... Three, three words in one term. I want to know how they should be used, what they mean, how are they different, because usually they just give them a synonym when you look them up. Compassion, empathy, pity, and, you know, the term feeling sorry for somebody. How mm. are those terms different? You know, how should they be used properly? All right, let's go at that. Um, editors, uh, both uh, Susan and Ellen well, have been editors. Uh, what does empathy actually well, convey? Well, empathy was supposed to mean feeling with somebody. Yes. I mean, yes. right, or, or even though sympathy yeah. literally means feeling with, but it's kind of. And I always think of sympathy as feeling, as a, as feeling something towards someone that you have not yourself experienced, mm-hmm. and empathy being that deeper experience, it's a shared kind of. Yeah. And how about yeah. pity? Pity is a little bit uh, looking down on... It's condescending. Mm. Condescending. Yeah. A touch of condescension yeah. in that. Yeah, you know, uh, as a writer, I think sometimes you use the terms interchangeably because you don't want to go back and say it a second time. And then he asks about compassion. Compassion to me is, is being able to think about someone's situation at, and to understand it. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's different. Than yes, yours. yes. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say compassion has the connotation mm-hmm. of having understanding. Yes. In other words, say you, you walk past, you wouldn't say you have empathy necessarily for, say, some poor guy begging on the street, but you might have compassion for him. As right? opposed because, to irritation. Yeah. yeah, because you don't know, you know, you have compassion. Right. Yeah. I think you've handled that very well. And we go to the next caller. And that next caller is, <clears throat> let me see, is Eddie. Hello, you're on the air. Hey, Milk, how are you? Pretty good, I, I thank really, you. I really enjoy listening. What's happened to you? Oh, dear. Oh. oh. Disappeared. Eddie, have a nice day. Uh, though, actually, I have it here from our producer. Well, now that's gone, too. 
Oh. Uh, yes, he was going to ask about, can I be perfectly honest with you? I'm sure he was going to suggest that that's a preface to a lie. I don't oh. know. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just like with all due respect, or what people say, to be honest. Yeah. And usually I think when people say, if people open, or if people preface a statement with, to be honest. That raises it's a doubt immediately. Well, and it's, it's basically saying, well, you know, I think I think what you said is completely wrong, and I'm going to disagree with you thoroughly. And it, I just want you to understand you're an idiot while I do this. But, oh, but so, so, or else they make it; they say it to say how sincere they are when they're not being sincere at all. No. But she suggests, to be honest, a, I love my job. Yeah. But yeah. you're suggesting it's a blow softener. Yes. Yes. Yeah, which is different from what Ellen was just. Yeah, I think, it's I think, used I think both it can ways. use both ways. Let yeah. me be honest with you. Sounds like a question. Can I say no? I don't want you to be. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, next up. Uh, Madeline, hello, you're on the air. Good evening. I would like your opinion on mm. the recent use of the term goes when people are relating conversation. Yeah. Instead of saying they said or he said, right. they are always using goes. That sneaked in a good 10 or 15 years oh, ago. Oh, longer ago than that. I would say. Yeah. Oh, I used it as a child, so. Yeah. It's like really? 10 or 12 years. But that, uh, he goes, has <laughs> now been replaced by, and I'm like. Yeah, I'm all. Or like, I'm, and I'm all. And then they drop the like and the goes and just I'm. Yeah, and I'm, get out of here and it. stop bothering yeah. me. And she, and she's, I think I have a right to talk to no, you. Yeah. It's verbless. Uh, yeah, a right. of a conversation. Some of the young people in our office, I notice, use get out of here. Meaning? Which sounds yeah. to me like I'm just agreeing with you. With they're really saying, "Wow, wow, that's yeah. wow, get or get out of town." Yeah, There's another here. one Unbel- that means yeah. unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's is a it, word I could talk about. Superlative. Is awesome still around? Yes, I think so. I don't think it's. Left. It's like cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our thanks to that caller, and we'll go directly to the next one. That being Scott, you are on the air, sir. Hello. Um, I've noticed something uh, mainly among sports commentators in which they seem to talk in the present tense all the time. So if you're not listening closely or you come in on a you know an event uh, and don't really know what's happening, you often <laughs> don't know what's what's happened. What's give, give us an example of, of sports well, talk in the present tense. Well, um, if if. Uh, if he goes uh, to his right uh, instead of to his left, he's in the end zone. Yeah, that's used as a past <laughs> description. It's used uh, in, in the present, actually happening, yeah. or it's used in the future. He, if he if he does go, or if he had gone. Is, <laughs> yeah, right. Because they, they can be talking about a play that happened in the first yeah. quarter, yeah. but if you didn't know that, if you came in in the middle, you don't know that. Ron does a lot of football watching, right? You could interpret this. They just. It's that play-by-play impulse that's the idea that it doesn't happen until they talk about it. You know, uh, Faulkner was once set out by Sports Illustrated to cover a big horse race. I forget which one it was. And he wrote it all in the present tense. So when you read it, it says, and the horse is. and But you could translate it back, except that when it came down to the stretch, he just said, and the horse, and the horse, and the horse. And he didn't tell you who won. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Yes, it's true. Oh, that's true. wonderful. Yeah. Also, in sports talk, you get certain kinds of metaphors. I don't know exactly how to characterize what they do, but uh, they're um, very often quite vivid metaphors. Vivid and sometimes unintentionally howler, howlingly funny. Um, the Private Eye has one column called Coleman Balls after uh, one named 
after one sports writer who sports broadcaster who const, sportscaster who constantly bollocks metaphors and figures of speech and there are at least half a dozen entertaining bot, um, botches every week uh-huh I, I would like to see one player move from a team to another, and then there's the little news conference, and he always says, I just hope to make a contribution. Yeah. Right? You're paying it, me you know, $4 yeah. million dollars a year. Yeah, and of I, course I, you hope to. Right? Yeah. Our thanks to the caller. Time is short. We'll arrange on and try to cover as many as we can before it is time to go. 312-591-7200. And then we go to Mike. Good evening. Yes, sir. Um, I've been a writer for 43 years, and I take kind of a casual approach to language because I spent most of that time in advertising. But there is one that drives me just wild, and I hear it on talk radio just too often. And it's when somebody says, it's a misnomer to believe. Oh, good. Oh, yes. no. It's a misnomer to think. No. When clearly, now this might be my four years of Dominican high school, but... Uh-huh. Nomer is obviously name. Yes. All they mean is it's a mistake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, or, or they mean it's a misconception. Yeah. It's a misconception to believe this, and it drives me nuts because it should I hear yeah. it for uh, in in the professional realm. Uh, and and uh, I don't know. Maybe that's picky unish. Oh no 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 no, no no no! It's the wrong word. And I think there's a lot of people grabbing. And we don't have any examples, but I've had them at other times when. They grab a word that sounds kind of like the word they want, and they, you know, it's the, it's not. Misnomer means the wrong word. That's what it means. You know, uh, they don't mean that. They mean, so, you know, why not say, you know, nincompoop or something? You know, what one really very commonly misused word is the adjective toothsome, which means tasty or pleasing and is frequently used uh, to substitute for people with large gleaming smiles. They'll say, or oh, to say that someone or, toothy. They I used mean, to toothy. yes, toothy. They, um, people were always saying that the Princess of Wales, for example, was toothsome, and no <laughs> well, doubt she is. She's I bet no she doubt, was very tasty. no doubt she was. But I don't think that's something to speculate about. It. I've never heard anyone described as toothsome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, Very it's that often. kind of celebrity smile. Really? Yeah. yeah. But that's I, I want to come back to the sports yeah. thing. One of the best sports uh, quotes I've ever heard. They sent Chico Carascal, then a shortstop for the Sox, out to scout another player. And he sent back a, t- a telegram that said, good field, no hit. Right. <laughs> Got right to the point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember Chico Carascal just barely. Another caller coming up. That caller is Bob. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Um, in the best usage, it, at least this used to be the case, human is an adjective, not a noun. The noun is human being. Well, you wouldn't say there, are, there were five humans in the boat. You would say there were five human beings in the boat or there were five people in the boat. Yeah, but if you had three chimpanzees and, and uh, four members of the species Homo sapiens, you would say there were three chimpanzees? And four humans. Well, I, I think you. I think the best usage is human beings. All right. Well, I think human is a noun. I, I, I think it is. It is. It's a separate noun. It, it, is, it is today. I think it's so. The mistake is so common. I think it's been accepted now. But everything changes all the time. We have look, to live look with at, that. Uh, hum, humans are fallible. We got to that of earlier. Uh, <laughs> This whole thing... Uh, we are only human. The whole thing we're doing now, this uh, language policing, it really is based upon 
a false premise, namely that language takes a shape and then it has a classical form which should persist to eternity. Obviously, it doesn't. Language is changing underfoot all the time. Yeah, sometimes for the better and sometimes not. Oh. And Webster's does give human as a noun. I, I do take your point, sir, about human being, but it, um, it, is, it is in fact a noun and adjective. And next up is Muhammad, I believe. Good evening. You're on the air. Yeah, Milt. Uh, Paula Cooper, first of all, I hate to say I love Paula Cooper, but she does something that drives me nuts. When, whenever she should use the word when, she says whenever. Like whenever I was a little girl or whenever I was driving <laughs> home last night. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, very odd, isn't it? She says it all the time, and it drives me nuts. Whenever I was a little girl, it makes it sound like sometimes she was a little boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've well, never heard. I've never heard her do that, and we hear her. I bet night. you'll be listening now, Milt. The, we hear her every night when she does <laughs> she the news for us. Whenever we night. hear, her, we hear that. Yes, whatever. <laughs> when, whenever. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll check it out, sir. But I have some doubt that that is an accurate observation. We're virtually out of time, um, so no more calls. Practically out of time. Um, Literally. She, should I not have said virtually? No, no, no. I was just kidding. That thing that guy was objecting yeah. to saying practically, meaning nearly. You know. Yeah. And I mean nearly when I say virtually. Yeah. It's becoming more and more virtual all the time. Um, so what what last item or what last choice observation about language and its use these days in our uh, fallen world do you have? Yeah, I'm always amazed when we do these shows how many people call in. It means that people still have a feeling for oh, language. Yes, may, we may not share it exactly but they have ears. They do listen, they do hear. Well, you know, I had a similar thought when I was looking for stuff to go talk about, is that all these things, you know, like Tang Magazine has a Wednesday Words, and and the Forbes has other things, and how much interest there is in language in all these other groups, like the business community via, in Forbes, and that's a good thing. I think it's inevitable. It's just we live by language. That's what makes us, in fact, humans, uh, that we communicate at that level and that complexity. And so, of course, we're going to be interested in language uh, all the time. Um, and it's one of the great subjects. Thanks to all for listening, and a most cordial good night.